This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 243, and we are recording on August 4th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and from a downpour here in Philadelphia. (laughs) Isaiah! Yes. My neighbor's drain pipe is right outside my recording closet, and there is Mm. nothing I can do about that, so hopefully it's not too loud. I need to tell you about a weird thing that my child said to me last night at dinner. I'm ready. I made chicken adobo, which is just a Filipino, it's just chicken and like soy sauce, vinegar, whatever. We're eating dinner and he stops eating and he looks at me. He goes, mom, did you know that humans taste like pork? And I was like, why do you know that? (laughs) I know that from watching like science fiction movies about the end of the world. Why do you know that? And he said, I read it in a book called Strange Facts About Death. And I was like, where did you? Where did you get that? And he was like, it was at the library, mom. So obviously it's fine. Wow. (laughs) Conversations you, A, don't want to have at the dinner table. B, with your eight-year-old. Oh, my gosh. I just love the, like, it was at the library. So obviously Obviously. it's fine. Obviously, mom. All knowledge contained within the library is fine for me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I don't disagree, but also, right, exactly. like, should my, well, I guess he's nine now. Should my nine-year-old know that humans taste like pork? No. That's, stop it. Why? Right. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. Strange facts about death. <laughs> <laughs> the library mom, it's fine. Oh, welcome. That's my August story. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how to segue from that, to be perfectly there honest. There is none. There, I didn't know how to segue from it at the dinner table. <laughs> just let so it happen. So we will just roll on. <laughs> uh, I guess I should tell you, if you're new to the show, welcome. Sorry. You can expect more of this. I I, I wish I could say that, that, that this is unusual, but it's not. Welcome. So how the show works is that once we're done telling our non-segwayable anecdotes, <laughs> we talk about book recommendations. You can send in your questions and we will do our best to find you a next great read. It can be for you personally. Maybe there's a book you love. You're having trouble finding things like it. Or perhaps you need a pick for your book club or for a friend or relative or whatever. Uh, you can send those questions in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can send them in through the form that's at the bottom of the show notes for every episode. Those are on the site. If you have a time-sensitive question, you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, please put time-sensitive, all caps, in the subject line of the email, plus the date you're hoping to hear by, or in the top line of the form, and we will do our best. If we're not going to get to it on air, we might send you an email response. So keep an eye out for that. We have some feedback from listeners chiming in with recommendations from previous episodes. So Sybil says... I wanted to provide some feedback suggestions for Rachel in the latest episode, looking for books for her great aunt. This question reminds me so much of my mother, who is 81. Sounds like Rachel's great aunt and my mom have very similar tastes, so here are some books that have been big hits with my mom. Pavilion of Women by Pearl S. Buck. Anything by Louis de Bernier, but particularly Birds Without Wings and Notwithstanding. The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. The Book of Negroes by Lawrence Hill. And I think Maggie O'Farrell's new book, Hamnet, is going to be perfect for my mom, so maybe for Rachel's great aunt, too. Uh, Let's see. And then Angie sends in Rex for Molly, whose son is not liking the chapter books they've tried. Have you considered graphic novels and comics? 
I would totally recommend Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Miss Marvel, the totally awesome Hulk, and the Miles Morales Spider-Man books for him. I would like to co-sign that. Mm -hmm. That is. Those are all fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to read our first question, and then we'll take a sponsor break, and then we will start with the recommending. Uh, This is actually from one of our insiders who get their questions fast-tracked. This question is from Sam, who says, My girlfriend has found that with the epidemic, she's craving escapism and has found a new love for fantasy. I would love to get her some holiday reading. She's really enjoyed Lord of the Rings, but was a little disappointed at the lack of diversity. LOL. (laughs) And has also really been enjoying Studio Ghibli films, especially Howl's Moving Castle. She does not enjoy sci-fi. Do you have any great diverse fantasy recommendations for her? Okay, let's do a sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right, so diverse fantasy recommendations. Amanda, what did you pick? I picked The Song of Blood and Stone by L. Penelope, which is the first book in the Earthsinger Chronicles. And this comes with a trigger warning for racism. I felt like this was like a kind of like a diverse Lord of the Rings, <laughs> except if it was just about, oh, what's her name? The 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 woman from Rohan. Eowyn. Yes, if it was like just about Eowyn and if Eowyn was biracial. So the main character in this book is named Jasminda. She lives like on a farm. Her farm is right on the border between the two countries that the book like contains the two kingdoms, Elsira and Lagrimar. And the people from Lagrimar are black and have magic uh, that they call Earth Song. 
meaning that they can cross the mantle, which is this like magical veil that separates the two kingdoms. And they could do like some other things. She has some healing powers and things like that. And then the kingdom of Elsira, those people are white and they are ruled by this like horrible tyrant. He calls himself the true father. It actually reminded me a little bit of Star Wars. And he is your run-of-the-mill Sauron kind of, Eye of Sire Sauron kind of evil. He's trying to dismantle the uh, the mantle <laughs> so that he can get into Lagrimar because the true father keeps himself in power by sucking all the magic out of the people in his country. And he wants to get to the other country so that he can do the same thing there. So Jasmine is just like a farmer. She lives by herself. Her parents are dead. Her mother was from Lagrimar and her father's from Elsira, So she's biracial. And she's just trying to like get by. And uh, she is living on the outskirts because she lives in Elsira, even though she has dark skin. So she's not treated very well by the people in the village. So she just like tries to mind her own business. But then some soldiers come through her village and like invade her farm. And one of them turns out to be a spy who has information that the veil between the two worlds is falling. And so he knows that the king or the ruler of Elsira is trying to get into Lagrimar where her family is. And so she gets like wrapped up in this huge kingdom-wide political plot. She teams up with this undercover spy. They escape the troop of uh, soldiers that he's with and go off to like save the world from this horrible evil. It's like, it's a lot of fun. It's very fast paced. There's some romance wrapped up in it. And it's got lots of magic, just feels very like L-O-T-R in that way. So that Song of Blood and Stone, and the second one is out. I can't remember if there's a third one or not, but there are more if you like the first book. So that Song of Blood and Stone by L. Penelope. I picked Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, which we haven't talked about in a while. And I also want to recommend The True Queen, which is the companion book. And these two books are, they are not epic fantasy like Lord of the Rings. They take place in a more modern world. They're very like fantasy of manners is what Mm -hmm. I want to say. But they're so funny and they just bust up all of these sort of fantasy givens in the most delightful ways. And the magic system is great. They are extremely escapist and enjoyable. I cannot think of better vacation reading, honestly, if she hasn't gotten to these yet. The main character of the first one, Zacharias White, was an enslaved person who was freed as a child. And this is like Regency Britain. And he has been adopted by a very prominent magician, sorcerer person, and he has great magical talent himself. And now that he's grown up, he is basically in charge of the royal sorcery coalition thing. It's like parliament, but magicians. And he, uh, they're not like in love with this because he's black and they're white and they're old and stodgy and <laughs> extremely stodgy. <laughs> um, but he doesn't care. He's going to do the thing. He is very good at his job. And as part of his job, he ends up going to give a lecture at this school for girls who are not supposed to use magic. They're not even supposed to have it. They do. Spoiler. And while he's there, he meets a young mixed race woman named Prunella who has like amazing magical proficiency. And because magic is disappearing in Britain, Zacharias is like, I don't understand where these girls are getting all their magic. Like all of us dudes are struggling to do anything and they just like have it in spades. What is going on? And the two of them embark on an adventure, also fall in love. (laughs) It's adorable. And just all kinds of good, fun, hijinky, magical things happen. There are so many amazing supporting characters. And I love that this 
like British Regency fantasy brings in elements from different Mm -hmm. cultures around the world in like really enjoyable ways. And the true queen, which has some of the same characters, but is extremely different in focus from this first one. So if you're looking for just like a replay of Sorcerer to the Crown, that's not what you're going to get. The true queen is so great because it expands the world even more and there's more dragons and just more all kinds of things. And it's just so much fun. And they're so smart and so well done. So again, that is the, it's the Sorcerer Royal series. The first is Sorcerer to the Crown. The second is True Queen. And those are by Zen Cho. All right. Question two is from Gabe, who says, I've struggled with spirituality my whole life. I crave spiritual experiences and feelings, but despite my many explorations into all kinds of religions, I've never found one that fits because I can't get my annoyingly empirical brain to believe in something I can't have demonstrated. Do you have any recommendations for books, fiction or nonfiction, about exploring spirituality as an atheist? I find myself drawn to Earth and the cosmos a bit. Marginalized voices would be a plus, but I'll take anything you find compelling. Okay, I picked The Power of Meaning by Emily Esfahani-Smith, who is a woman of color. And I think that this might be particularly helpful for somebody who like has no interest in the kind of supernatural elements of some religions, because this book is about finding meaning. And she extrapolates a lot of ways that different religious traditions in the world do that and then kind of gets rid of of the the things that can't be empirically demonstrated, right? So she talks about like monks and she talks like in monasteries, she talks about uh, Buddhism and Aristotle, who isn't, uh, you know, like religious, but but philosophy. She and like other like Victor Frankl and George Eliot, like she's drawing on a lot of different thinkers, religious figures. And her whole thesis is that people tend to turn to religion or spirituality looking for happiness, but what we, what we should actually be doing is looking for meaning. Happiness is kind of a byproduct and is temporary and you and is kind of a little bit outside of your control anyway. So she's saying that like in order to find meaning, we need belonging, like we have to find our you know people, uh, we need purpose, storytelling, and then transcendence. The transcendence chapter I think will be especially interesting to you because it's about, you know, like mystical experiences or like transcendental experiences, but they don't have to be religious. It's really just about like having moments where you feel like you've risen above like the everyday kind of mundane elements of life. And you can do that like going for a walk or looking at your children or like there are any number of ways that you can have transcendental or mystical moments that fill you with meaning that don't have anything to do with like a god or gods or anything like that. So that's The Power of Meaning. The subtitle is Crafting a Life That Matters by Emily Esfahani Smith. I am recommending a book that is on my radar thanks to Rebecca. It sounds super interesting. It is called Stalking God by Anjali Kumar. And this is, I like, you know, reading the description of this. I'm still waiting on my library hold to come in. It sounds extremely relevant to my own experiences. Kumar identifies as spiritual, but not religious. And, you know, she herself is like a very high-powered Google executive person, (laughs) like a very, you know, techie person, rational, et cetera, et cetera. And she becomes pregnant and she feels like she needs to figure out some sort of belief system because like, you know, bringing another human into the world like is in itself perhaps a spiritual experience. And also like, how do you talk to kids about religion and spirituality? So she's got to figure this out. So she sets off on like basically a pilgrimage to try to figure out what it is that she wants to believe in, what she can believe in. 
And it is very much like a tour of world religions. But it's nice to see this coming from the perspective of somebody who is not, in fact, white, because <laughs> that's usually what we get. So, you know, laughing yoga, transcendental meditation, like saints, like faith healers, all of these different things. And it's very much, you know, looking at the not mainstream religious and spiritual practices that are out there to try to cobble together an answer to like, you know, why are we here? And what happens when we die? And is there a God? So super interesting. Uh, again, that's Stalking God from Anjali Kumar. And let's see. Our next question is from Renee, who says, I offered to drive my in-laws from Minnesota to upstate New York for their only grandchild's first birthday. They're in their late 70s and not fit for COVID-era air travel or driving themselves, so this was the best solution. It's an 18-hour drive, and we need audiobooks. <laughs> we all love to read but have different styles. I'm a book reviewer, so I tend to, to read a lot of new releases. My favorite genres are contemporary lit fic and memoir. I love a strong female protagonist. My father-in-law loves a good mystery. Bonus points if Scotland Yard is involved. My mother-in-law loves a feel-good historical fiction. I've only listened to one audiobook in my life, so it's a new frontier for me. Any suggestions that might appeal to all of us? We all agree politically, so feel free to swing a bit to the left. Strong language is fine, but please save me from awkward mentions of sexy times in a confined vehicle with my septuagenarian in-laws. <laughs> I love this question so much. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Amanda, I've been talking for like a while. You have to talk okay. now. I picked A Curious Beginning by Deanna Rayborn, which is the first book in the Veronica Speedwell mystery series. There are five or six books in this series, and there is a romance through line through all of them. And I've read the first three. And as of the first three, there is there's romantic tension and they talk about it, but there there's no sex on the page. After book three, you are on your own, and I cannot guarantee that that will not be an awkward listening experience. But three books is probably get you through 18 hours, because they're pretty long. Okay, so these are historical fiction mysteries um, that are like feminist, blue stocking, very feel good. Scotland Yard is involved, so I feel like everyone will be on board. And so they take place in the Victorian era in England. Veronica Speedwell, the, the titular character, is the main character. And when the book opens, she has just buried her spinster aunt. She is now alone in the world, which like she's sad that her relatives are dead, but she's like kind of fine with it because she is a world famous lepidopterist. She studies um, butterflies and has traveled the world doing that and has, lot has had lots of adventures. She has the occasional romantic dalliance, but she has a rule that she never sleeps with Englishmen, which I think is hilarious because she like doesn't want the drama on her home turf. And so she is planning to, like, go do that thing, to go travel the world more and make more scientific discoveries. But on day one, someone tries to kidnap her in her own house, and she is saved by this, like, very mysterious German baron. It's not sexy. He's like an old man um, who tells her that he is here to offer her sanctuary. Some people are after her. She's got a great big secret in her past. And she's like, oh, okay. So she goes with him to figure out what's going on. And while they are traveling back to London, he's murdered. Uh, and so she's left in the care of his friend, Stoker. And Stoker is this like very grumpy, reclusive, bad tempered, with a heart of gold kind of guy, natural historian. And so they're both scientists. And they, so they have that in common, but they want really nothing to do with each other. Their personalities clash pretty hardcore, which, as I'm sure you can tell, means that they're going to be together forever. They hate each other. So like you're destined to be with me through six books. I'm sorry. I love you. And so um, they before like the Baron can tell her what he knows about her past. Um, she ends up stuck with this guy because the Baron is dead. And so Stoker is actually blamed for the murder, even though Vic Veronica 
knows that he's innocent because she was with him. And so they like end up on the run, on the run from Scotland Yard, on the run from these mysterious people are trying to hunt her down for like reasons with a capital R TM. Uh, And they have to figure out why this is happening. They end up like with a traveling circus. It's just bananas. It's this bananas blue stocking feminist murder mystery in the Victorian era. And it's just super, super, super fun. I will say that Stoker is very obnoxious and some people find it charming. I found it just like he's an alpha hole, you know, if you're familiar with like romance terminology. Veronica has like tolerates none of it. So it's not like it's not addressed in the book, but I just found it personally grating. So like if that's a thing you're not into, skip this. So that's A Curious Beginning by Deanna Rayborn. All right. I poked around for this (laughs) question. And I was talking to Swapna Krishna about it, and she recommended Artifact by Gigi Pandian. And I read it over the weekend, and I did really enjoy it, and I think it could work for you. Um, The audio is available. It was also available from my library, although I did not listen to it because I do not audio. But it's about seven (laughs) hours. And this is a mystery. It is feel good. It is contemporary and feminist and it has historical stuff in it. So like hopefully that <laughs> threads enough. I, it's like one of those things where it's like I worry that trying to please everybody, I will please nobody. But, uh, you know, what can you do? This is mm-hmm. this is what it is. So uh, it is the first in a, a series that has a lot, by the way, of books in it about a historian named Jaya Jones, and she gets a package in the mail. She lives in San Francisco. She gets a package in the mail from an ex with, like, a giant jewelry, like, ruby gold bracelet that's clearly of historical provenance. And then she finds out that he has, like, was in a car accident and is presumed dead in Scotland. And then when she goes to try to figure out, like, what on earth did he send her, her apartment gets burgled. And she starts talking to this art historian who's like, this is a lost treasure of the Mughal Empire. And we, you know, need to, like, do all these things about it. And she's like, actually, I need to go to Scotland and find out, like, what has happened to my (laughs) ex-boyfriend. And so everything sort of spirals out from there. It's really fun and page turnery. Like, it's very fun. It's very fun. She's very, like, she's a little bit cranky. She's very independent. She knows martial arts. She's not concerned about her safety. She also wears, like, giant platform heels and plays the tabla and is all kinds of, you know, quirky and unique. And so that was entertaining. I will say that there is some attraction between her and the art historian. And there are two kisses, but they're like, they're not deeply described and they're over pretty quick. So like, hopefully that will not be super uncomfortable for (laughs) y'all. And I will also give a quick content warning that she has a stalker who is treated kind of dismissively by the book, which made me uncomfortable having had friends with experiences of this. Like it's not, I don't take it lightly in the book kind of like the main character anyway, takes this lightly, even though other people around her don't, but nothing really happens around that in the book for the most part. So just, just a heads up for anybody out there who's listening, who might be bothered by that. So, okay. So that's Artifact by Gigi Pandian. It also occurred to me that the Mary Russell Sherlock Holmes novels might be a good choice. The first one is Beekeeper's Apprentice. It's 13 hours. It's very Victorian in sensibilities, so there's no sexy times to worry about. (laughs) It is mysteries. It's Sherlock Holmes rewrites. There are some problematic things in them in terms of depictions of race, but for purposes of this car ride, might be a good option for you. All right. Question four is from Brett, who says, I would like to read a book that is set at a summer-long resort. 
one of those resorts that families would go to to quote unquote summer for three months out on some gorgeous lake in the woods. Something like Justin Cronin's The Summer Guest or The Resort in Dirty Dancing. Just hot, long days on a lake with a strong atmosphere. I'll read anything but YA. Okay, I had just nothing here. I could come up with so many like summer camp or mm. p- people going on to a, to like their family's private summer house, but I was struggling with the, like the resort lake atmosphere kind of thing. So I asked around and Jeff, our CEO, who is the co-host of the Book Riot podcast, recommended Sag Harbor by Colson Whitehead, which I think is like perfect. I will say the main character in this is 15, but it is not YA. And I don't know how it's not. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those, it's like pornography. I don't know what it is, but I could tell you when I see it. It's not YA. It's just not. And please don't at me because it just isn't. Okay. So Sag Harbor is about a boy named Benji. It's 18, no, 1985. He's 15. He lives in Manhattan with his family and he goes to like a very fancy like private school in Manhattan. And then in the summers, his family summers in the Hamptons at Sag Harbor, which is this little village in the Hamptons that is almost entirely upper middle class professional African-Americans. And they like leave their kids there for three months and then the parents come and go on the weekend. So the kids are largely like left to their own devices. And so Benji has decided like this is the summer he's going to be cool, right? Like he started his first year of high school. It did not go well. He's kind of a nerd. Uh, He's a bit of a social outcast. And so he wants to spend this weekend at Sag Harbor being better, (laughs) like being cooler, you know, except he like works at an ice cream parlor, hangs out with his friends. They talk about music, like rap is starting to become a popular kind of zeitgeist right now because it's 1985. And, you know, there's like the question of girls and nothing happens, right? Like there, maybe this is why it's not way, like nothing happens. There's no big coming of age moment. There's no huge giant conflict. It's just a guy at a summer, like a very fancy, very popular resort area with no parental supervision for the most part. His parents come and go and there is like there are hints that his father has an alcohol problem. There's a big Labor Day party at the end that's like the culmination of the whole thing. But he does change over time. And so it has that kind of that like syrupy slowness of a summer resort book that I think is pretty akin to that the atmosphere of Dirty Dancing. And also in the same way that Baby and Dirty Dancing is just kind of a dingus. (laughs) You know, Benji has that naivete that he really resents. Like he wants to be more older, basically. He wants to be older, more mature than he is. And he wants to use this summer to like kind of get there. But that's maybe not going to happen. So anyway, I thought it was fascinating. It, it brings that like racial element into the whole concept of summering somewhere. Uh, and Benji goes to a mostly white school during the school year and then spends his summer with almost exclusively black people. So he's like in and out of both worlds and he's trying to navigate that. And it's just really interesting. So that's Sag Harbor by Colson Whitehead. I picked the summer book, which I haven't gotten a chance to talk about for a while. So thank you for that. (laughs) Um, It is by Tova Jansen, who is better known as the author of the Moomin books. But this is like a beautiful short gem about an older woman who is an artist and she and her six-year-old granddaughter and her grown son are like doing the thing that everybody apparently does in Finland which is if you have the means you have this like island where you have a summer house and you go it's like exactly like you're saying every summer you go to the summer house and you're there until the weather gets so bad that you can't be there anymore (laughs) and It's not like, you know, the same kind of summer that I feel like we experience in the U.S. Like, it's not like, you know, baking yourself on the beach. It's more like going out in a boat and like building like fairy rings in the woods and 
cooking and also, you know, the the grandparent and the grandchild like negotiating like what they're going to do together because obviously they have different interests sometimes. But it it has exactly the kind of atmosphere I think you're looking for. It feels so sort of out of time and the natural descriptions are amazing. It is extremely low on drama. So, like, there's not, like, a dirty dancing amount of plot going on here. (laughs) Like, it's very, it's much more atmospheric than is plotty. So I don't know if that's, like, too far in one direction for you. But it's a beautiful book. NYRB recently re-released it. So there's a nice translation. And I just, I love it. And it, it is one of those books that feels essentially, quintessentially summery to me. So, again, that's the summer book. By Tove Jansen. Jansen? I never know. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Okay, and now it is time for another sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Credit Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. All right. So our next question is from Mackenzie, who says, I thought I'd ask about something I've been having trouble finding. I grew up watching Westerns with my papa and would love to experience that again with books. But I'm not really interested in the rough and tumble solo cowboy that all the ladies want and all the men hate kind of main character. I would like something with a female main character, and it would be a bonus if all the ladies wanted her. I've already read Upright Women Wanted, and I'd love something similar but longer. I also loved the Kissin' Kate Barlow's storyline in Holes, but once again wanted more. My mom has recommended Stephen King's Dark Tower series, but I don't care for King's writing or some of the content he tends to include. 
I don't mind if it's a true Western or a futuristic Wild West. I just love gunslinging cowboys and cowgirls. I know it may be impossible, but I'd appreciate it if your recommendation didn't include sexual assault. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked Heresy by Melissa Lenhart, which is such a, well, I don't know if I want to say fun Western, because there's like a lot of violence in it, but it's a super fun Western, okay? So it's about Margaret Parker and Hattie LaCour, who live together. Margaret is a widow her from the UK. Her husband has recently died. Hattie is a former slave, and they live on like a ranch by themselves and are making ends meet after Margaret's husband dies. And then some greedy, like horrible cattlemen from around the area run them off the ranch, like figure out a way to get their land and their cattle and leave them with nothing. And so they turn outlaw like they don't have their choices are like find some dude to marry, join a brothel or take up lives of crime. So that's what they do. And they form this all female gang in the West. They like rob stagecoaches. They rob banks like they become these really famous, notorious outlaws, except the newspapers won't say who they really are because nobody wants to admit to getting held up by a bunch of women. So the newspapers are constantly lying, like saying that they're men and attributing their crimes to other people. So it's almost like the perfect con because like sexism is making their their life of crime possible because nobody will identify them on purpose. But that does not mean that they're like totally getting away with it because there are male gangs who are rivals to them who really resent their presence and are like after them. Oh, also, they've got what was the beginning of the FBI. The Pinkertons are on their trail, including an undercover agent who is a woman. And so they want to perform this like one last job because all of these things are closing in on them. Like the cops are on their tail. This, uh, this rival gang is coming up from Mexico to kill them. And they are becoming more and more notorious. So they kind of want to retire. And so they, they want to do this like one last job. Of course, everything goes awry and like shenanigans ensue. But other than like the rival dude gang and some of their victims i don't think there there are really any men <laughs> in, in the book like it's very much it's narrated by three women three different povs and it's it's really about their relationships their exploits how they ended up in this life and how they're going to get themselves out of it so that's hearsay by melissa lenhart that sounds delightful mm-hmm so Mackenzie, <laughs> listen. This is this is. There's not a lot of these. There really aren't. Um, and I picked one that comes with some caveats. So I picked an easy death, which is the first in the Gunny Rose series by Charlene Harris of Suki Stackhouse fame. It does have one mention of rape and sexual assault, but it is very brief. I don't know if that's a deal breaker for you. If so, I apologize. But I like. I, it is really short. And it's not a huge part of the plot. It also is extremely violent, just like FYI, Westerns, violence, it's a thing. Um, but I think you will, I, I really loved the main character of this. And it sounds like, you know, the kind of character that you might also enjoy. Her name is Lisbeth. And she is a young gunslinger who is like known to be extremely deadly with a weapon. And this is an alternate history Western. So it's set in, like, in our world, it would have been the United States, but it's kind of not anymore. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was assassinated. The Great Depression hit, and the country basically broke into different mini countries. So down by the border of Mexico is another country called Texoma (laughs) that is not, like, part of the United States proper. That's good. Yeah. And so, right. Believable. Uh, And so uh, Lisbeth works like helping people go across the border. But actually, it's mostly people wanting to go to Mexico because the U.S. area is kind of unstable and like they're not really interested. 
And so she, like, has this very dangerous job. There's raiders and all kinds of outlaws out there trying to take advantage of people who are caravanning down. Um, And so, you know, her job is extremely violent, but, like, she's fine with that. She likes to shoot people. Uh, (laughs) So then she gets hired by these Russians. It's like a very international cast. There are these Russians who are trying to prac down a magic practitioner named Oleg Karkarov because they believe that he's a descendant of Rasputin and that finding him, they can use his blood to save the ailing czar's life. But that's like only kind of what's going on. So there's magic, there's gunfights, there's these competing priorities, there's like some conspiracies going on. And Elizabeth is just like, who do I have to shoot to simplify things? Like she's very no nonsense. There are some really funny moments. There are also some very like dark moments. It's a balance uh, as I mean, if you've read Charlene Harris, you kind of know her deal. I thought it was an interesting take on a Western. And I did appreciate that there are like Lisbeth herself is white, but there are a lot of folks of color. And because history has been rewritten here, there are different relationships between those folks, which are interesting. Everybody experiences a high level of like, you know, gun violence, just FYI. I don't know if that's going to work for you, but I thought I'd offer it up. Again, that's An Easy Death by Charlene Harris. It's the first in the Gunny Rose series. All right. Our next question is from Heather, who says, when the pandemic craziness is over and my kids can be in school full time, I'm going to be starting an internship as a marriage and family counselor to finish my master's. And thinking about what kinds of people and families I may be working with, I realized a gaping hole in my knowledge base. I lived overseas during my high school years and come from a more conservative background, so I have very little knowledge about the American high school experience, particularly what it means to be LGBTQ in high school. I'm looking for recs that would provide insight, which could help me guide parents or families in supporting their LGBTQ kids, or to help teens whose parents may be less than supportive. I prefer fiction, but I'm open to anything. Okay, I picked Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit by J. Robin Brown because it takes place in a very conservative town. And the main character, Joanna, is dealing very specifically with like how to deal with conservative family members and neighbors and, and like townspeople. So Joanna has lives in Atlanta. She's a senior or a rising senior when the book opens and has been out for like years and like has a community of LGBTQ friends that she lives with. Her family is like fine with it. And her father decides to remarry. He's a, po- a really popular radio evangelist, which is like hashtag complicated, but also he's supportive of her up until now. When he decides to get married, him and his wife decide that they're going to move the three of them from Atlanta to Rome, Georgia, which is a small town that his new wife is from. And he asked Joe to go back into the closet for her senior year while they are in this town until she goes off to college because of how conservative the town is. He's worried that she's going to experience some hatred or bigotry and also selfishly doesn't want to like have to deal right with like his in-laws and the neighbors and all of that. Um, and so she actually agrees to do it on the condition that he gives her a free a radio show, gives her airtime because, you know, he's this like really famous uh, evangelical radio pastor. And so he agrees. So she, so she gets her own show and she decides that she's going to use her airtime to kind of like open hearts and minds in this little town. And so like while this is going on, she meets Mary Carlson, two first names. Carlson is not a last name because this is Georgia. Two first names, <laughs> Mary Carlson, who's like this beautiful all-American tennis star who's uh, the sister of one of her new friends that she finds at school. She falls head over heels for Mary Carlson, the tennis star, um, who like maybe is not straight. It's probably straight. Maybe not straight. We don't know. Like, I don't know what's going on here. But she can't. She has promised. She's promised her father this thing. So she 
feels like she cannot pursue this relationship. So, like, everything is real complicated, right? Like, she wants to pursue this romance, but doesn't know if the um, object of her affection would be receptive, but also she can't anyway, because, like, she promised this thing to her dad. She's struggling with the idea that, like, her dad loves and accepts her, but has also asked this really not accepting thing of her, which is, like, ostensibly for her safety, but also, like, not, you know. So I think that if you're if you're coming from a conservative background and are trying to figure out how to be supportive of a person in your life or, or a kid or family who has a kid who's coming out, I think that this will be, like, pretty relatable to those kids uh, if you are staying in a conservative area. You didn't mention that, but I think that the content will be pretty relatable, especially how the language that Joe uses on her radio show to talk to her audience, which is her neighbors, like these people living in Rome, Georgia, who are very conservative and religious, but who like her. Like when she gets there, you know, they like her. She's a little edgy and kind of strange. She's got real short hair, but like, you know, we love your daddy, so welcome. And so she like uses that as a door. Also, the book, I think, is great at addressing how kids have to come out over and over and over, right? Like you Mm. are in middle school, you come out to those kids, you go to high school, maybe you've got a whole new set of kids that you have to then come out to. You get a boyfriend, you got to come out to that dude's parent, you know, and like then you go to college and it's a whole new set. And like that doesn't ever really stop for anyone, you know, but it starts, of course, when you're a kid. And so that I think is something that isn't talked about a lot, but it's something that if you're in uh, like a high school dealing uh, like a counselor or something, recognizing that fact could be really helpful to a kid and to their family. So that's Georgia Peaches and Other Forbidden Fruit by J. Robin Brown. I am giving you one from the top of my TBR. I am waiting so impatiently for my library (laughs) hold on this book to come in. It's been getting rave reviews from my fellow book rioters. It's Felix Ever After by Case and Calendar. And this book is, I think, going to be helpful in a lot of different ways. First of all, it is about a boy named Felix who the cover of this book, y'all, I just, like, cannot get over. Like, it's so, like, magical brown boy covered in flowers on the cover. It just, like, makes me so happy. Anyway, okay, so Felix is a teenager. He is Black, he's queer, and he's transgender. So, like, that's a lot. And he has not been in love, and he is really desperate to fall in love and also really sort of afraid that, like, even though he owns his identity, he knows who he is, he's not, like, you know, closeted about any of that stuff. He's like afraid that it will be too much for other people, which I think is very relatable for a lot of teenagers, um, no matter which intersections they're facing. And then an anonymous student starts sending him transphobic messages and publicly posts Felix's dead name um, along with some photos from before the transition. And Felix is like, I will get my revenge. (laughs) But he like decides to like catfish this student and then that somehow lands him in this like quasi love triangle and his feelings get really complicated and he has to figure out like, what is love and who am I in love with and what is going on with me? And I think that, you know, There's so many different things that this book is tackling. It's tackling like, yeah, like what happens when you get to your late teen years and like you have not experienced love? What does that feel like? What does it feel like to be worried that, you know, your intersections are too much for another person? What does it feel like to deal with that kind of transphobia in a high school setting? There's so much going on here. And also Case and Calendar is just an amazing writer. I've read their other works. They've won Stonewall and Lambda Awards, like really solid author. You should maybe read their whole catalog. I'm just saying. So again, that's Felix Ever After by Case and Calendar. Can I say before we go into the next question, because you mentioned the cover, that the cover artist is somebody I follow on Instagram. Her name is Alex Cable, and she is a Filipina 
American from California who makes these beautiful prints of Filipino women as monsters from Filipino mythology and like indigenous religious traditions. And they're all in that style of the Felix Ever After cover. They're beautiful. So I'll put a link to her website in the show notes. If you've seen that the Felix Ever After cover and like it, you should definitely go buy some of her art because it's like choice. Click. I will take that recommendation. Okay. Our last question is from Anna, who says, I am seeking an adult book that features a child character or characters. Most YA features teenagers, not younger kids, and while middle grade books can be fun, I seek something more advanced. The kids don't need to be the only protagonist or even necessarily a POV character, but they should be a big part of the story, and they should be real characters instead of a plot device. Sci-fi, fantasy, or maybe mystery, please. Not the Broken Earth books by N.K. Jemisin. I've read those already. (laughs) All right. What do you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked What's Left of Me is Yours by Stephanie Scott, which comes with a trigger warning for domestic violence. And this is a murder mystery that takes place in Tokyo and is told from the perspective of Sumiko, who is grown as she's telling the story. Uh, And she is a uh, recently graduated lawyer who's about to start her career. And then she learns something kind of shocking about her mother. Her mother was murdered when she was a little girl. And I've seen reviews saying that this is based on a true story, but I've not seen any evidence outside of that that that's true. So if it is, I don't know. It might be. But it's based on the industry of the um, Wakanasasias, which are people like they're almost private investigators who are hired to break up relationships. So Sumiko's father was unhappy in his marriage and hired this man to seduce his wife, take pictures of it so that he would have evidence of adultery and then could get a divorce. And this is like apparently a whole cottage industry in Japan that exists. So Rina is Sumiko's mother's name. Rina is in the in the dark, of course, that this is happening. She meets the man that her husband has hired, but it all goes awry. The man who he's hired falls in love with Rina and they start this affair he quits his job as like the dude hired to break up this marriage and then rena turns up murdered and he is the one arrested for killing her and sumiko as a child is kind of instrumental in what ends up happening with him when he's sentenced and so as an adult she realizes that he is about to be released from prison she gets a notification that he's about to be released from prison she thought he was dead this whole time and so it's a shock that he's alive it's a shock that he's getting out like she was raised by her grandfather who did not tell her that any of this was happening. And so she goes on this like kind of quest to find out what actually happened to her mother in her murder uh, and what's going to happen to this man once he gets out of jail. And so her um, childhood perspective is a giant part of the story because she's seeing like her mother's relationship with her father and then her mother's relationship with this man through that the the eyes of I think she's like seven when uh, when this is all happening. And so you get a lot of flashbacks to her as a kid. And what her testimony as a child ended up doing to the whole case is like a whole thing. So that's What's Left of Me is Yours by Stephanie Scott. Amanda and I are weirdly on the same page accidentally (laughs) as usual. I also picked a mystery that comes with a trigger warning for domestic violence. I thought of this book and it took me like three days and the help of Liberty to remember the title because I read it (laughs) what feels like a billion years ago. But I think it's a really interesting use of a child narrator in an adult story. It's The Earth Hums in B-flat by Mary Strachan. And I mean, what was so memorable about it, and I read it, you know, back in like 2008, I want to say, is that it takes place in a Welsh village. And the main character, Gwenny, is 12. And she is like a very sort of unique outlook on the world. 
She, like, has flying dreams that, you know, every night, like, she's, like, flying over her village and, like, finding out all these things. And she doesn't really like school and everybody thinks she's, you know, touched um, is the word that they use. But she's just like, whatever, I am me and here I am. And she, one of their neighbors goes missing. And so she decides in like a very Harriet the Spy kind of way to try (laughs) to solve the mystery of his disappearance. And she, in the process, uncovers all of these things. And I remember the experience of the book reading because, you know, a 12-year-old doesn't necessarily put together things the way that an adult puts things together. And so as she's describing her interactions with her neighbors and her quest to solve this mystery, you as the reader understand certain things that she doesn't. And it's a really interesting journey. And it's also so atmospheric. Like you really do feel like you're there in this village learning about all of her neighbors and her life. And it's very immersive. It's been, like I said, a really long time since I read it. So I'm pretty sure I got all the trigger warnings, but I'm not 100% positive. I did some research. That was what I came up with. But I really, I think if you're looking for like interesting ways that people use a child narrator, this is a great example. So again, that is The Earth Hums in B-flat by Mary Strachan. And that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks also go out to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who is magical. Mm -hmm. If you are so inclined, you can feel free to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. It does help other folks to find the show. Thanks also go out to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am mostly also on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I A M J E N N I R L. And we will talk to you next time.